remain standing as we read God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, and we're reading verses 5 through 15. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, 6th chapter, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would now sweeten this word in our hearts and in our minds, that together we may grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path, praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, it feels like I haven't been here for about a year or so. I think it's probably because I preached at the beginning of December and nearing the end of January, so I miss you, Just it's been too long. But it's, uh, it's good to be back uh, here with you this morning. We're going to just look at the very opening of the Lord's Prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven. If I, if I did more audio and media and that sort of thing, um, I would play a song for you right now. It's uh, in Hebrew. It's called Avinu. Malkanu. Everybody say Avinu. Malkanu. You notice how both of those end in nu? In Hebrew, the nu is our. Uh, av, you, you've heard Abba. Uh, Abba is the Aramaic form. Av is the Hebrew form. Av, Father, Avinu, our Father. Um, Malk, King, Malkanu, our King. It's a, it's a beautiful Song. Talk about it a little bit more uh, later on. This morning, we're just going to be reflecting 
on those opening words in the prayer that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. We want to reflect on why Jesus said when you pray, pray this way. And the first words that he taught us to pray are, Our Father in heaven. Well, this is a rather simple sermon this morning. I just want to talk about two things uh, in particular. The first thing that I want to say is that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray as an ancient Jew. Now, it's kind of odd to think about the fact that Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't a Christian. You know, they're not first called Christians until the book of Acts, right? Uh, Jesus has lived out his whole life. He's been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He ascends to the Father's right hand. And it's only after that that people who are his disciples are now called Christians. And most of those early disciples were all Jewish. And Jesus was a, he was an ancient first century Jew. And so when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray as ancient Jews would have prayed. And so it's helpful to just stop for a moment and reflect on a few uh, ancient Jewish prayers, ancient Jewish prayers that are still used in the synagogue. A good while ago, I preached a series of sermons on the language of blessing, and I preached on the use of the doxology, and I preached on the use of the gloria, and I, I, I tried to make a case that these things are deeply, deeply rooted in Christian tradition. And Christian churches give up the use of things like the doxology and the gloria. Uh, and when we do, we do so cutting ourselves off from, from history and from tradition. If you use a, a Jewish Uh, prayer book that is still used in the synagogue, most, if not all of those prayers go way, way back. They're deeply rooted. And uh, one of those is called Avinu Malkenu. Beautiful. Uh, Sometime if you have access to the uh, internet and YouTube this afternoon, just uh, search on YouTube, Avinu, A-V-I-N-U, that's going to be good English, uh, Malkenu, M-A-L-K-E-I-N-U. Look for YouTube, Avinu Malkenu by Barbara Streisand. It, it is a most beautiful, you, you won't know what she's singing because it's in Hebrew. But I think even listening to it in Hebrew, you'll get it. Avinu Malkenu, Shma Kolenu, our Father, our King, listen to our voice. Chatanu Lefanecha, we have sinned against you. Uh, and on the song goes, just, just beautiful. Well, this is not a new prayer. Avinu Malkenu goes back probably to about 100 A.D., Rabbi Akiva. And uh, in, in this prayer that begins, Our Father, Our King, we see a juxtaposing of two dimensions of our relationship with God. Jewish prayers understand this, that as our Father, we relate to God as children relate to a Father. We're going to talk more about that. But very tender, very close, 
our king. We relate to God as his servants, as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so these, this juxtaposition of these two different dimensions uh, of who God is, it's so easy for us to go to one extreme or the other. In our relationship with God, Christians tend, theologically speaking, Christians tend either to relate to God in terms of his imminence or in terms of his transcendence. That is, we tend to relate to God as the one who's closer than a brother, right there with us in the warp and woof of life, uh, and we lose sight of how big and grand and majestic God is, or we relate to God as the one who is way far above us, holier than we could ever possibly uh, think or imagine to be, and we lose sight of how close God is to us. So is God close to us, or is he far above us? See, the Avinu Malkenu uh, taught ancients, and it teaches us today that we relate to God uh, in two different ways, as our Father and also as our King. Here's another uh, ancient prayer. Uh, an ancient Jewish prayer says to God, You have loved us with a great love. O Lord our God, and with surpassing compassion, you have had compassion on us. Our Father, our King, for the sake of our ancestors who trusted in you and to whom you taught the laws of life, be gracious also to us and teach us. So some Jewish prayers, ancient Jewish prayers, going back to Jesus' day almost, pray, our Father, our King. Others, in a very similar way, actually pray, our Father, in heaven. One prayer says, our Father who is in heaven, deal kindly with us for the sake of your great name by which we are called. Another says to Israel, to the teachers, their disciples, and their disciples' disciples, and to all who engage in the study of Torah in this place or elsewhere, may there come to them and to you great peace, grace, kindness, and compassion, long life, ample substance, and deliverance from their Father in heaven, and say, Amen. Not uncommon for ancient Jews to pray, our Father, our King, our Father in heaven. And our Father, our King, our Father in heaven are just different ways, as we'll see, of praying the same thing. And so the Lord's Prayer is simply an ancient Jewish prayer. When Jesus said, this is how you pray, our Father in heaven, none of his Jewish disciples would have said, wow, isn't this a novel prayer? they would have all resonated immediately with Jesus teaching them to pray. Because he was teaching them to pray as an ancient Jew, teaching other ancient Jews how to pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, the one with whom we are so, so, so very close and intimate. Who is in heaven the one who goes beyond anything we can possibly think or even imagine. And so I just want to remind us as we 
think about the Lord's Prayer, which we use so often in our public praying and in our private praying, that when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray as he was an ancient Jew. He taught us to pray in a way that would have made sense in his cultural context. To pray our Father, ever so close, our King, the one who goes beyond our thoughts and our imagination and who is in authority over all things. And the second thing I want to simply draw out of these two words is that not only did Jesus teach us to pray as an ancient Jew, but Jesus taught us to pray with balanced theology. Um, There's a story, uh, and I don't know if it's lore or not. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story anyhow. So some of you, many of you probably know of the teaching of uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul. Yes, it's a name that is familiar, especially for folks in Central Florida. Well, the story goes that when he used to teach at the seminary level, he would have students... Uh, that he would call upon to pray at the beginning of class. Most of the time, professors pray at the beginning of class, but Dr. Sproke's custom was to, uh, to invite students to open class in prayer. And immediately after their praying, he would criticize the theology of their prayers. Uh, and his point was that if you listen to the way people pray... Sometimes their praying just has such bad theology in it. So one day, he called upon, I'll just say, Student Jones. And he said, Student Jones, would you open in prayer? And Student Jones said, I'll be glad to. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because he knew that he would not be able to be criticized for bad theology if he used the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it's a good one. And it does make the point that Jesus taught us to pray with balanced theology. Now, uh, these three weeks are the busiest weeks of my whole year. So I actually don't know what I'm going to preach on next week. I'm not that far. Usually I'm pretty far ahead. Usually by now I'm ready for next semester. I'm not even close to being ready for next semester. But I'm thinking about doing one sermon on the next couple of verses, and then the next time I come, Lord willing, doing another sermon on the next couple. I've hinted at this in a sermon that I preached a good while ago, maybe last last Christmas, on learning from the angels about the balance between Um, a focus on God and a focus on us. There's a wonderful balance that we see in the Lord's Prayer that the next requests are all about God, but the following requests are all about us. Maybe I'll, I'll do that balance. But there's a different balance, a balance in theology. And by theology here, I don't mean theology in general, but I mean theology proper. That is the doctrine of God. Who is God? How do we approach God in prayer? In Jesus' opening words, there is just such a wonderful theological 
balance. So let's look just at those two parts of the opening of the prayer. Our Father in heaven. When Jesus says, this is how you are to pray, he starts by saying, pray our Father. What are, what are some of the things, what are some of the truths about God that should come into our minds immediately as we begin to pray and we just say those two words, one word in Hebrew, avinu, two words in English, our Father. Well, let me at least mention four things. Two start with C, two start with P. That ought to be easy for us to remember. First, compassion. And we heard that in some of the ancient Jewish prayers, the connection between Father and compassion. When we say our Father, we come immediately to a God who is full of kind compassion. Think just of Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, now I realize that our experiences are different. And I realize that some of us don't relate well to God as Father because our thinking of God as Father is so heavily influenced by what our experience of our own human father was like. And for some of us, Father and compassion don't naturally go together. That's why we have to live by faith in what the Bible teaches us to help us at times break through what our experience has taught us about what fatherhood is. And God is the ultimate father from whom we learn what true fatherhood is like. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Jesus said, when you start to pray, Just start with that, our Father. Start with that frame of mind that God is a God who is full of kind compassion. Jesus did not say, when you pray, start by saying, our judge. He said, start by praying our Father and just realize the depth of God's compassion for you. Two, care. Deuteronomy 131. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. You know what it's like to carry children, don't you? This is why I'm convinced that God um, God has organized the world in such a way that young people have children and we who are getting older do not. You remember those hot days in the summer when you had a toddler who was exhausted at some place like Disney and it was all you could do as a young and vibrant person to carry that son and you did. 
uh, I have two grandsons, and we spent Christmas in San Antonio. And the five-year-old, I'm not equipped to carry him very long, especially in the heat of summer. Now, care and carry are just accidentally connected to each other, but at least it helps us. When you see that picture of a father carrying a child, it's a picture of a father who cares. And Jesus said, when you you start to pray, say our father. and, And know that the God to whom you come in prayer is not only a God of compassion in general, but he's a God who cares for you. He's a God who's willing to carry you when you need to be carried. Zach and the family have experienced that. I've only talked with Zach very, very briefly about the last couple of weeks, but many of us have walked, as Zach has said, in those steps that he and Barbara and the other family members have walked. And, and you know what it's like to feel like you're being carried along by powers and by forces that are unknown and unseen and that are greater than you. God's a God of compassion and he's a God who cares. He's a God who can carry you when no one else can. Jesus said, pray our Father, compassion, Care, protection. Psalm 68, 5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. It's true everywhere, but especially in the ancient world. Orphans and widows had no one to care for them. Because in that ancient social structure, the husband and the father, he was the income. He was the medical insurance. He was the auto insurance. He was the retirement plan. He was absolutely everything. And when he was gone, the orphan and the widow had no one, no one to care for them. They were truly homeless in our sense of the word. Jesus said, when you pray, say our Father and realize that the one to whom you come is the one who can protect you. No wonder at the end of the prayer, Jesus says, and pray, deliver us from evil. Protect us from evil. Keep us from evil because the one to whom you come is a Father to the ones who cannot defend themselves. Protection. Four, provision. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. See, Jesus understands that there's a discrepancy between God as Father and us as Father. But he says, even though there's this great gap between God as the perfect Father and us as human, fallen, imperfect fathers, we can still see something of God's true fatherhood even in our meager attempts to be good fathers. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Sometimes we think of God as a a stingy God. We think of God as a withholding God. I'm not going to give that to them because it's good for them to be deprived of it. 
But here we see Jesus saying, pray our Father. A Father who loves to give good gifts to his children, to those who ask him. And so Jesus says, when you come to pray, start by saying our Father. And don't say it mindlessly. Say it thoughtfully, realizing that you're coming to a God who is full of compassion, who cares for you, who protects you, who provides for you, our Father. And then Jesus brings balance to that by saying, and continue to pray, our Father in heaven. And when we say in heaven, we are saying our King. Remember those ancient prayers? Those ancient prayers that either said our Father who is in heaven or our Father, our King, just different ways of saying the exact same thing. To address God as the one who is in heaven is to address God as king. Think of Psalm 2, verse 4. In the NIV, it translates that uh, fourth verse of Psalm 2 this way, the one enthroned in heaven. If you're reading maybe a New American Standard or an English Standard version, it might simply say the one who sits in heaven. But we have to keep in mind moving from one language to another often involves some some change. There's a Hebrew word, by it. Everybody say, by it. By it's what you live in. A by it is a house. But a king doesn't live in a house, does he? What's a king live in? A palace. A god doesn't live in a house, does he? What's a god live in? Starts with a T. Temple. So a god lives in a temple, a king lives in a palace, you live in a house, but in Hebrew, they all live in a by it. It's the exact same word. Uh, so Hebrew has one word, English has three different words to get at those ideas. In the same way, what you're doing right now starts with an S, S-I-T-T-I-N-G, you're sitting, right? You're sitting on a chair. A king does not sit on a chair, does he? What's a king sit on? A king sits on a throne. And so the word that is in Psalm 2, verse 4 in Hebrew, is just the good old garden variety word for sit. And so the NASB says the one who sits. The ESV says the one who sits. But the NIV knows that it's not just anyone who's sitting. You sit on a chair, but a king is, what's the E word? Enthroned. That's why there's not a special word in Hebrew here that should be translated enthroned. It's just the word sit, but it's appropriate to translate it the one who is enthroned because who is the one who is sitting in heaven in Psalm 2? He's the king of the universe. And hence that proper translation in the NIV, the one enthroned in heaven. Our Father, our King. He's the one who sits enthroned in heaven. He's king over his people. Isaiah 33, 22 says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. Malkanu, our King. He is in a very special sense 
the king over his people, who defends them as we have confessed this morning against all of his and all of our enemies. But he's not only king over us, he's king over all. Psalm 47, 2, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. And so as we come to God in prayer, we come to him and we say, our father, and we realize how compassionate and caring and protecting and providing he is. And we also come to him and say, our king. And we realize that he's not only our king, but he's the king of the universe. He's the one who rules. He ruled from the ancient distant past. Psalm 74 says, but God is my king from long ago. And um, long ago doesn't just mean a long, long time ago. It means all the way back to the very beginning. We The sense of uh, of, but God is my king from long ago is, but God has been my king since Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. Long ago takes us all the way back to the beginning. Uh, the psalm says, God is my king from long ago, from the very beginning, from the time of creation. He brings salvation on the earth. Now, when we as modern Christians think about salvation, we think of things like, Forgiveness of sins, sanctification, being made perfect when we get to heaven, uh, all of those sorts of things, justification, sanctification, glorification, that's what we think of as salvation. But when you read about salvation in the book of Psalms in particular, salvation is, Lord, I'm going before the judge tomorrow, I'm being falsely accused, save me, let me hear not guilty instead of guilty. Lord, I'm going to lead the troops into battle tomorrow. When we go into battle, save us. Let us win and not lose in battle. Uh, Lord, I am sick. Save me. That is, restore my health. Salvation in the book of Psalms is very much this world oriented. Now, it includes things like the forgiveness of sins and sanctification and glorification, but that is all built on top of another foundation, and that is God's care for us in the physicality, in the warp and woof of things that we experience in this life. And you see, sometimes life gets chaotic. Being falsely accused before a judge, that's chaos. That's, that's not right. When our bodies aren't working the way they're supposed to be working, that's chaos. That's not right. That's not God's good order. When the mind starts to go and we're not thinking clearly, that's not the way, that's not the order that God intended in creation. That's out of order. And salvation is God bringing things back into the right order. And so the psalmist in Psalm 74 says, God, you are my king, just like from the very beginning when you said, let there be light and there was light. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, that's order. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, that's order. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was evening, and there was morning, and there was evening, and there was morning. That's order. 
And so what the psalmist is saying is, God, you're the king, not a king of chaos, but a king of order. And wherever there's disorder in our lives, we come to God as the king, as the one who in the beginning brought order into the world, and as the one who now in our lives can restore order where there's any kind of chaos, anything that is out of keeping with that orderly design that God originally intended in creation. He is the one who rules from the distant past, and he rules into the distant future. Exodus 15, 18 says, The Lord reigns forever and ever. And so Jesus says, when you you come to pray, come to pray as an ancient Jew. Say, Our Father, ever so close, full of kind compassion, caring for us, protecting us, providing us, and say, our Father in heaven, the one who is king not only over us, but of over all things that he has made, from the distant past as far back as we can think to the distant future as far forward as we think, God is the one who rules. And in conclusion, let's just do two things. Let's just reflect for one moment on the fact that Jesus didn't teach us to pray, our King, our Father. It's not an accident that he taught us to pray, our Father, our King. Because if there is one who is in authority with absolute power over everything, and he's not our Father, That could be terrifying. But Jesus says, when you come to pray, start by saying, our Father, and then say, who is in heaven. Because God is our Father, we can trust him as our king to exercise all of his authority and power in heaven and on earth, ultimately and only for our good and for his glory. So first we want to conclude just by reflecting on the simple truth. And we want to remember this, that Jesus taught us to pray saying, Our Father first, our King second. And let's also conclude by praying together as the Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, let's um, stand and sing together in response number 163 at the name of Jesus.